All right, well, welcome everybody, especially those who are online, those who are here. Um, today we're going to be talking about leadership. Yes, that very scary word that we associate with public speaking, responsibility, leading people, and making decisions. And, and what kind of prompted this topic today is all the different words that we got through our, our recent presbytery. And during the whole weekend, you know, there's all of these words that are spoken and you remember bits and pieces and, you know, anyone that had the word intercessor spoken over them, oh, trust me, you got a note beside your name, I'm going to come find you. Um, but also leadership or leading. These words come up very often. And um, thanks to the power of AI, we now have transcripts that pull out all those fun little uh, uh, keywords at the top. So, um, but it's interesting in terms of how often leading or leadership comes up. And yet, as a global church, we actually have a really big problem. And that problem is people that don't want to take responsibility or put effort into their faith. So in Matthew 9, we read, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So according to global statistics, there are 2.6 billion people that identify as Christian. So they identify as following the ways of Jesus or being followers of Christ. However... And this gets a little muddled for the statistics, just so you know, because um, these, these now kind of are more North American numbers. But 30% of that number will never read through the entire Bible. And only 25% will ever volunteer with their church even once. So this church has a much higher volunteer rate for which we are grateful. But the same issue is out there. 20% of people are doing 80% of the ministry. And in particular, there is a lack of those that are willing to take responsibility or lead. Now, we're going to talk about leadership and kind of what I'm hoping is a new light today. Because while we're going to talk about what we think of as classic leadership, leading groups or leading people, primarily I'm going to talk about internal leadership, the leadership of our faith, and the leadership of stewarding our faith for all to see. Because it's my personal belief that when we steward our internal faith or our internal leadership, the outward part, running groups, running ministries, that's just going to happen very naturally, and it's not going to be scary, or is it going to be avoidable? So let's just open in prayer here. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. We thank you that we live in a place where we can freely gather and worship you, worship you in song and in word. And Lord, just, just that we can um, come before you and, and be taught and learn. And Lord, we just pray that this morning it would be your words that go forth. Lord, that you would speak from this pulpit. Lord, that you would... Touch all our hearts as you've touched mine in even preparing these words. And we just pray this in your name. Amen. All right. I'm going to do a little action here to get going in the morning. By show of hands, how many of you would consider yourself to be leaders? 
Okay, just so you know, if you'd all raised your hands, we could have ended and left right now. Like, it would have been over. But now I got to keep going, because... All right. So, how many of yourselves would cons not consider yourself a leader, but currently find yourself leading something? Okay, a couple more. All right. How many of you are willing to come up on stage and do the rest of this sermon? All right, we got like two people in the back, the keeners. All right, what if there was $1,000 involved? A few more? $10,000? It's like literally we're talking 30 minutes here, guys. You, you could come up and sing a song. All right. Well, at $10,000, congratulations, you just found out how much the church pays me. So uh, you could have got that. Um, that's, that's a falsehood. But if your mind changed because of the monetary value, why? Did you even consider it as the numbers go up? Is it because that money is going to make your life more happy, more fulfilled? Is it because things you can do with that money are going to make you happier? Simply put, most of our decisions in life, we weigh the risk and the reward. In this scenario, I changed the reward until it hopefully outweighed the risk, the fear, and the uncertainty. Yet as Christians, we know we can't take money with us. And statistic after statistic confirms that money does not buy lasting happiness. But we can see that the right amount of reward shifted the equation. And I can tell you quite honestly that, and many pastors will confirm, there are not $10,000 paychecks up here. But God has already promised biblically the treasures of heaven, eternal life, and joy of service. So I'm not sure there's much that in the world here we can shift on the reward side to match that. It's already pretty loaded. So if we're going to change all those stats on leadership and get all of you to see yourselves as leaders or admit that you are leaders then we need to change the fear and the uncertainty. So my goal in the sermon, just to lay it out in front of you, is not to make you guys leaders, because I don't have to. You guys are already leaders. It's just getting you guys to admit that you are a leader, or at least, let's, let's take a baby step, that you're willing to be considered as such. Because the moment that all of you accepted Jesus, as Lord and Savior, you became a leader to a whole world of unsaved people. You can be five minutes after praying salvation, and you are already accepted into a royal priesthood. You have the authority of heaven, and you are told by the Great Commission to go and lead others. Five minutes. This actually happens even faster, but we'll give you five minutes just to come over on the whole, like, I'm just so happy right now moment. <laughs> Now, some of you at this point might be contesting, okay, well, what's my definition of leadership? And certainly around the world, the definition of leadership is, is debated. But in simple words, leadership is about taking risks and challenging the status quo. Leaders motivate others to achieve something new and better. Now, I know almost none of us naturally consider ourselves this way, but when you have something of value that people need, you're either going to get rich selling it, 
or you need to be a leader and give it away. And since Jesus didn't charge for your salvation or mine, I, I think it might be a bad idea to start selling it. So that leads us with being leaders. And it's scary that God trusts us with so much. The fact that the Lord lets me stand up here and talk to you is beyond my comprehension, but it's not beyond my faith. I don't know that I can stand up here and speak to you of anything life-changing. I can tell you how to install flooring because I do that for a living. But I know and trust that the Holy Spirit can speak something life-changing into you. I know and trust that if I take the small step of getting up here, then he can do great things. So in Isaiah, we read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I feel like we need to consider a new criteria to define leaders. Criteria that's not based on hierarchy or pay structures. It's not based on your physical abilities. It's not based on your mental abilities or your charisma. You don't even have to have the ability to create vision or goals. All of these things are going to be given to you and will be worked on within your limits, albeit maybe not your comfort. But your ability to lead is going to be 100% based on your desire to follow your leader, Jesus. Your leadership is the Holy Spirit's power working in you. Now, some of you, like myself for many years, would be immediately saying, I don't have the prayer life for that. I'm not good enough. I'm not ready yet. But I want you to know very carefully that when I said the first statement, I said it's about desire. So this is not about your current status. This is not about your current mental readiness. This is only about your heart. And this is where we lay down what we think of ourselves and we put our minds on what Jesus says about us. We have to trust what he is calling out of us because his ways are higher than our ways. And he calls us his children and he gives us power. So in John we re read, but as many received him, he gave them the right to become children of God and to those who believe in his name. You're his child. Comes with all the great benefits and blessings that, that, that we think of in parenthood. So put aside all the flawed kind of parenthood ideas that you have. Think of it in its perfect construct. And that's what God is pouring out on you. And he has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. So I know it's been three weeks since some of those words were spoken at Presbytery, but can anyone remember a single one that said to anyone, you're only going to just follow people. You are a sheep. Just stay a sheep. Or, you know what? Eh, there's no work for you. I love you. There's no work for you. We've got a whole bunch of better, holier Christians over here. We're going to just let them do it. It doesn't happen because there's no truth there. God speaks of things that we all can do to lead the world 
in the narrow path back to his light. And if you think he loves you, you better believe he also loves that person that you're supposed to help. And he loves that person so much that he will give you anything, absolutely anything to ensure that you can help them by having the necessary words, ideas, energy, and skills to see out his plans. This is what is meant by when it says we have to have faith the size of a mustard seed. It's not about believing hard enough that a new bike or a Ferrari appears in front of you. I tried it as a kid, didn't work. <laughs> it's about stepping forward when our faith is zero. It's about stepping forward when we are terrified. It's about stepping forward when we know there is no way we could ever do that. You may not be able to, but you and the Holy Spirit, very gates of hell could not stand before you if needed. Now, leadership does not mean having to be in charge or having to be first. The best leaders know how to follow. They know how to be parts of teams. And Jesus was the master of this, of being a leader by acting the servant. The best leaders are those who walk out every situation by asking the Lord, what am I to do in this place? The apostles were given the same access and authority that we are, and they also came to a place where they had to step up. They had to make that decision. And guess what? They pretty much all followed Jesus. But we also have a book that documents their doubts and every mistake that they made along the way. Luckily for some of us here, we're not being written into biblical canon. Another hand-raising question. Who here likes to avoid mistakes? Anybody? All right. Who would rather not screw up things? Husbands, you all should have your hands up. So a simple piece of advice. It sounds very pastoral and kind of pretentious when I read it, but read your Bibles and pray. You have access to not only written wisdom, but to God's wisdom that comes live from heaven. We just have to put in the time. We need our heart and our faith to say, by your power and not by mine. Or to say, Lord, I am scared. I cannot do this. But with you, I will trust. And I don't put limits on what you can do through me. Now, this may sound like a great leap of faith, and in many times it is to take that first step. But it's very rare that Jesus throws us into the deep end of the pool. It might feel like it, but afterwards we stop thrashing and panicking, and we realize that the water was only ankle deep. It's, it's usually our internal turmoil that holds us back more than anything else. And the reason I say this is because Jesus understands the process of training. He didn't speak to his disciples one time, give them the authority of heaven, and then send them out. He trained them. He gave them small roles. He corrected. He encouraged. And then he stepped out of the way so that with the Holy Spirit, they could go and conquer the world with his good news. He did not wait for them to have perfect daily prayer lives, to have conquered all their bad habits, to be reading a chapter of the Bible a day 
and have to have memorized every important Bible verse. He was and wanted to be with them when they were working on all of these things. But none of that can happen if the apostles and us don't take that first step. We read of a potential disciple in Mark 10. Interestingly enough, it shows up in Mark, Matthew, and Luke, so it's kind of a good sign that this was an important little piece. But the description we have of this potential disciple is a rich, young ruler. So all we know of him is he has wealth, youth, and power. He wants to follow Jesus, and he can list all the laws that he is following and has followed since childhood. Every credential on this disciple checks out. But he leaves grieving because Jesus asks him for everything. He was not able to put Jesus as his first priority. He was willing to follow Jesus. So I like to think you can read into that that he was young and willing to give up his time, but he could not give up his wealth and power. Jesus has no desire to be second best in our lives. This is not because of an ego trip or because of jealousy. Um, he was human and he knows us perfectly. He wants to be first in our life because he loves us so much and he knows that nothing could, can, or will ever fill us with a love, joy, and peace like he can. And this is why he speaks to us. This is why he tells us the truth about who we are. And then he sometimes speaks a little tease of a plan that he has for us. This is all encouragement so that we can help put our doubts to the side and step forward in faith. And we do have to step forward. Else, that word can be a seed that falls on the hard and rocky ground. Jesus is planting a seed, but we must decide what type of soil that we want to be. I want to talk about Noah and how Noah could have lost his word but also how the process of building the ark is a great picture for how God uses us and shifts our perceptions of who we are. So let's set the scene of Noah. This is found in Genesis chapter six. We see the world is going downhill. Evil is everywhere. Seems like the darkness is winning. Sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> and then in the midst of this dark and broken world, there is speaking of those with faith and God speaks a prophetic word to encourage and cut through the darkness. Noah is given a big word, a massive word. He is to build a boat, an enormous boat with three decks in the midst of a dry land for a future catastrophic flood. The gross dimensions of the ark 137 meters long, 23 meters wide, and 14 meters high, or for those of you born before 1975, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. But basically, it's as tall as this building from the cafe right up to the floor above us. 
It's as wide as from the wall behind me out to Columbia Street, and its tip would go from our front door right to the doors of the Army-Navy building. It is a massive ship. So when you leave here, walk out the front door and take a look down the block and realize how big a boat it is that he was asked to build. So even in modern times, this would be a pretty immense undertaking to build. First, you'd have to go to Home Depot and get some lumber. All right, he doesn't have Home Depot. <laughs> so Noah has to go find some trees. And to build a big boat, you need big trees. You are also looking at a specific species of wood. Wasn't enough that God said, hey, just go build the boat. He's like, no, no, it's got to be this wood. So assuming you have some large forest nearby, you're looking at one or two years of surveying just to locate the required trees. There's no helicopter. You are literally walking the land to find trees. Then you have to fall all the trees. Then you have to delimb them. You have to rough cut them. Then you have to move them to your construction site. All of which brought up two questions to me. One, where did Noah get the money? Two, how did he continue to fund it if he and his family are working full-time on the ark? But I, I, I'm just going to trust, I'm going to trust provision of the Lord on that one. So, but if anyone's theological and wants to dig in, I'd be curious. Anyways, so now you've got to ni nicely stack this rough cut lumber to dry. You've got to wait for it to dry. There's no kilns, nothing. Then you've got to cut it to your final dimensions. And then... And finally, you are ready to start assembling the ark. Oh, and somewhere in there, you got to make the plans, survey the land, find a site to build it. But when you step back, you think about how much just raw material was needed and the work just to gather and prepare it. It's not unreasonable that it was likely anywhere between 10 and 25 years before Noah put the first two pieces of the boat together. 10 to 25 years of tough, hard labor before there is the first physical piece of what you're building. On another side note, whenever you see your Bible, you know, you see the pictures of Noah, they usually look something like this. You know, I mean, he's not even working here. He's just getting his sons to do everything. <laughs> which there's probably some biblical wisdom in, but anyways. Um, but, you know, he's standing there. He looks very patriarchal, although that's not really a compliment in these current times. But I'm pretty sure if you're cutting down trees, you're walking the land, you're hauling them, this is how I picture Noah looking. Like, <laughs> this is the CrossFit dude. Like, Noah was the first CrossFit. Don't ever kid yourself. Like, that is a guy that cuts down trees day after day. Oops. But now, if all that wood prep does not sound like enough of a challenge, let's talk about wood. So for those of you that don't know, I am a wood guy. I have a fancy, very dusty degree in a storage box somewhere that says Bachelor of Science in Wood Products Processing. And this might be the first time it's been used, well, maybe since I got it, but let's say at least in a sermon. <laughs> So I'm going to tell you the really fun part that happens to wood as you dry it. Trees are living things, if you didn't know that. And so as they grow, they develop resistance to the stress around them. 
When the wind blows against them, they overdevelop on one side to ensure that they stand tall in the wind. Plant them on a slope, and they will curl themselves until they are growing straight up again. So even when you cut a very seemingly straight and even tree, there's a lot of hidden stress inside. Yes, this is going to be a metaphorical picture of how we grow. Because as we grow, we get pushed and pulled by various stresses that the world sees until, yes, we're standing tall, but inside we have all these overdeveloped and scarred areas. Now, you start to cut this tree into large slabs to become beams and boards. You start removing all that excess bark and wood around it to make a new shape that is more useful. And this is what happens. The wood warps, checks, bows, and kinks. When was the last time you heard the word kink in a sermon? <laughs> but some of this movement happens as you cut it. But mostly it happens as you dry the wood. And especially it happens when you rush the drying of wood. So you have to cure the wood slowly. Otherwise, these internal stresses are exacerbated and the warp gets worse. However, no matter how careful you are about drying the wood, there will always be pieces that are more stressed and will warp. Now, straight lines and even boards are very important if you're trying to build something that is square. But in boats, you have a lot of curved surfaces. So typically, whatever the shape, the wood can still be used to build something. This is just a great picture of how God takes advantage of our shape, our history, our trials, our experience, to place us in the right place that we can still be used. Our shape can be used to take advantage of our uniqueness. Too many people think that they have to be perfectly straight, clean lumber with no knots or flaws. But God today wants to shift that perception. While the world wants to build with straight lumber because warped wood means way more work, way more creativity, and way more patience. But God has never been afraid to do this work. He's never been afraid to spend the time with you to place your shape into exactly the right place. We don't like work, but God is ready to put in the time, work up a sweat, and he will meet you where, whenever you are ready and for as long as you are willing. He knows those stresses and situations that formed you, and he had a plan for using those into a perfect situation designed just for you long before you were even born. God doesn't want a bunch of cookie-cutter Christians going out into the world. He doesn't need the efficiency and lower cost of the Vancouver special. Where everything looks the same and it's easy and it's repetitive. He has the funds of heaven and he has eternity in his hands to ensure that all is according to his plans. So he is willing and able. Are you? He desires to put in the time. Do you have any to spare him? Are you willing to prioritize him and make some? Now, this story of Noah, it's both an encouragement to be a leader in your faith and to step forward in faith, but it's also a lesson in patience to see the story to completion. Noah was among the few faithful on earth. 
He was a leader and he led by example. And he had to make a decision to follow God's word, to put his faith in building a boat for an event that had never occurred. And this was not a one-time decision. He had to make this decision every day. Took approximately 120 years. So if we times that by 365, it means that he made that decision over 43,000 times. Daily made that decision to go out, survey the land, cut trees, drag lumber, and build a giant boat, all while being ridiculed by everyone around him. That seems exhausting, but yet I know and trust that there was great joy in that process. The daily revealing of a skill on how to form a piece of the boat, the finding of that perfect tree planted decades before all of this happened just for the purpose of building this ark. But this word of Noah also took patience and trust in God's timing. Because while sometimes, well, not sometimes, while the best action we can make is to step forward in trust of the Lord's plans, one of the mistakes that many of us will make is to then try and rush the process. Once we take that first step, we then try and run like 100 steps after that. Not to pick on her, but Liz. <laughs> um, when we go back to that ark, you've got all this nicely dried wood. He's starting to build it. But what would happen if Noah rushed that process? What if he just cut down the trees and started assembling the ark with undried wood? Or even just assembling out of any tree that was around? Well, it probably would have looked okay at first. He would have been ripping ahead. He would have seen a physical sign of what he's doing, seeing the structure rise out of the ground. But over the years, those pieces will then naturally start to dry out. And instead of the wood being warped while it was drying and put into place, it's now put into place and warping in that place. So instead of being in the right place where the shape is an asset, now that warp is fighting against the ship and it's in the wrong place. And the warped piece then starts to stress the other pieces around it until you have a catastrophic failure and you now have a hole in your boat or the boat falls apart. Maybe the boat still floats, but it's gonna take a lot of bailing to keep it afloat. We're in a world of rush time. We want our internet instantaneous, our shopping in two days or less, our TV series at once so that we can binge them without having to wait a week for the next episode. We barely can tolerate a commercial anymore. But that is our timing and our desire. And Jesus has different timing. His ways are above our ways. And part of that is to realize that the works of his plans with us are actually secondary to the time that he wants to spend with us. His plans for us are so great, but we cannot see them because we're not ready and we have not put in the time in his presence. But he wants to. He wants to spend that time to lead you so that you can lead others. Leadership is so scary because we're never ready. It's like being a parent. You ever heard a parent say they're ready? They weren't. 
You ever hear those parents that are like, there's no way I'm ready. They're freaking out. They're calling you. What do I do? Which end is up? All of that stuff. And they turn out to be great. Why? Because there's a process of learning. The great thing is, you don't, you know, you don't want to scare all the parents, but babies actually start out fairly easy. You know, they're not running around. They're not talking. <laughs> all of those things come later when you've moved past some of the other steps. But he wants to put in that time and he wants to train us. And there is a high standard of leadership in the church. It's an exacting and tough set of requirements, but yet every one of you is already invited and already in training. It started the moment you said yes to Jesus. Because at that moment, you found something greater than yourself. You connected to a love that has all authority and you now have a commission to go and lead others to that same place. So be strong and courageous and act. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not forsake you. He will not fail you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. The start of being leaders in our faith does not start with John Maxwell books or by bossing people around. It starts in our prayers by saying to the Lord, here I am. What do I need to do? I am scared and I am doubtful, but I am willing and I will trust you and I will obey. I will make you the priority and I need your training. And I promise you that no matter how scared you are, it pales in comparison to the fear of the enemy when ordinary Christians say, I will step forward. And, okay, God, let's do this together. I cannot think of many biblical examples of leaders of our faith that talk of their organizational skills or talk about how they were perfectly prepared for the situation at hand. It usually mentions their zeal for the Lord, their faith in the Lord, and it usually mentions a bunch of their doubts. But they trusted the Lord, and they let him go to work in their lives. So be bold. Be courageous. Lean not on your own understanding, but have faith in God who... Have faith in who God wants you to be. So make the time. Meet him in that place. And watch as he trains you into becoming part of leading the world into the light. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you are an awesome God, that you are a sovereign God, that you are in control, and that you are king in this place, and that you are king in our lives. And Lord, like Noah, we just seek to daily decide to follow you, to daily step forward and say, Lord, here I am. So Lord, for those that are in this crowd and those that hear this in the years to come, Lord, we just pray that if they feel that tug, Lord, that you would meet them there, that you would meet them in that place and that you would show them your love, that you would show them your plans for them, that you would show them how much you have waited and anticipated this moment 
where they come and spend time with you, where they put their faith into you, where they step forward and say, Lord, if you say go, I am willing. I don't understand. I have my doubts, but I am willing and I will obey. So Lord, daily put us in that place. Daily put us in that place so that we walk out our lives not according to our will or our plans, but according to yours. Because yours is the wisdom of heaven, Lord, and we just seek to have that wisdom in our life in each and every part of it. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Alex, for that sermon. It's to step up in faith. Step up. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that uh, if you haven't read, it says here that do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And then goes on to say in verse, chapter 6 verse 3, do you not know that we will judge angels? That tells me that we have something, something that's way beyond our our limited minds about who we are. We are called to step up. Even, even in Paul's writings, he's saying, you got us, you got something in you that's so amazing. Every one of you, we will judge angels. You have the authority. You have the rulership. And Paul did not get this from, from thin air. He's thinking about this, that you are part of the kingdom of priests that you are part of that kingdom, that you are royalty, that you are a prince and a princess or a king and a, or a queen. You are part of that. You are, and God's inviting you to be part of that rulership, that kingdom, that you are to be part of that reality of the kingdom of God. And you are to step up. We will judge angels. And I love the fact that Alex is just challenging us, all of us, to become full-time people in serving in the kingdom of God. That we are, uh, and, and he, he says that, it's, uh, that he, he just wants you to admit that you are a leader, right? You are a leader. And you are that leader. You are that kingdom. You are part of that kingdom. You are ones who will even judge angels. So today, take that home with you. And just mull over it. Just meditate on that and, and then sign up for E1, you know. <laughs> sign, sign up for all those classes yeah, and get, get, get involved. Get involved in leading others. Um, step up. Get involved in the church. Get involved in each other's lives. Uh, if you're in a small group, Fantastic! I'm making a plug for the cell groups here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get involved in the cell groups. Let people pray over you. Let people love you so that you can be part of that kingdom reality of leaders who will lead others and lead one another and love one another as a result. So let that reality happen. So go forth and uh, step up. Let us pray. Father God, Thank you for, uh, for this challenging sermon that we just heard. Thank you so much for showing us that uh, all of us need to step up. All of us need to, to serve 
because to serve is to lead and we know that it's sometimes we are scared and we admit that God we admit sometimes we are just timid and uh, but you told us to be bold and courageous to step up so I ask that you would by your spirit move us by your spirit speak to us so that we would be changed and transformed into a people that is full of the Holy Spirit's power and, and be transformed in our faith so God we give you our hearts give you our lives we give you five stones church we ask that you would lead us on and I know that your presence is with us because just as we've heard today is the day of Pentecost and the, and, and Holy Spirit is with the church and you will lead us and you will guide us and you will walk with us and you will be with us and you will be in us so help us to realize who we are now as children of God we've been given the right to be the children of God we've given the all, all the resources of heaven and it's all within us we didn't reach so help us to latch on by faith with trust in you trusting you with all of our hearts and so God change us change five stones change everything around us because we know right now that you are with us and that we can step forth now with you in faith so Jesus thank you again for reminding us of who we are that one day no, we will judge angels. We will have that authority of all of heaven. And today, help us to step up in faith now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. I mean, may the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.